Welcome to Connecting with Dr. Kim Swales. Relationships are probably where we spend the most time and the most energy in our lives. They can be the sources of our greatest joy, but they can also cause us the deepest pain and frustration. This podcast is about helping you connect a little bit better every day in your relationships. Welcome to episode 30 of Connecting with Dr. Kim Swales. I am so glad you're here. If you would take just a moment to hit subscribe, leave a five-star rating or a positive review, I would be so grateful. My guest today is Emily Siegel. Emily is a corporate mom and a fierce friend. She is the host of the Connected Mom Life podcast, and she believes that authentic connections are not nice to have, but they're a must-have. And she is on a mission to help moms create more authentic connections and friendships because she knows that we weren't made to mom alone and it's time to stop trying. Welcome, Emily. I am so excited to finally have you on the podcast. Thanks, Kim. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited to talk to you. Um, I've followed you on Instagram for a while. It's, I think, pretty right away once I started my professional account. And I just love all the tips you have. Um, You're so passionate about helping moms find friends. So tell me what got you interested in this area. Yeah, so we we moved. That's really kind of like what was the, the impetus for me getting interested in helping moms make friends because you know, um, 10 years ago, my husband and I had just gotten married and we made this decision to kind of leave all of our friends and family from our hometown and go to Philadelphia where we knew no one. And, um, I had moved around a little bit as, you know, growing up and thought, okay, well, like no big deal. I can, you know, we, we can make new friends, not a problem. And it was a problem. It was really hard. What is what I found to make friends as an adult, particularly without kids, without a dog at the time. And, um, and what I came to realize, you know, after a couple years of being there, um, I ended up reading this memoir of someone who was very similar to me, who had, you know, just gotten married and had really great friends, but moved to a city where she knew no one and like now didn't have any good friends where she in her current city. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is my exact situation. And so what she did is she made herself go on 52 friend dates over the Mm. course of a year. And what she ended up, she learned so much through the course of that. And what I learned through the course of reading it was people were just more open to connection than I was giving them credit for. Um, I think I was starting to tell myself a lot of really interesting stories about friendship and adulthood that weren't necessarily true. And it was starting to impact my ability to actually make quality connections and, and deepen them. And so now that I'm a mom, you know, we've, we've since moved a second time Mm -hmm. and, you know, I, I watch other women fumble through, you know, trying to make friends and, and being worried that they're coming off as too awkward or too aggressive. And I feel like I've learned the magic, you know, behind like the fact that we all just want connection and we just need someone to be confident enough, you know, to make it happen. And so that is really kind of what I'm on a mission to do. I want people to feel more confident in their ability to put themselves out there and seek friendship because the reality is they're going to find a lot of people really open to it. Um, but we often don't think that we kind of usually think we're the, we're the weird one. We're the one that's, you know, the odd mom out when in reality, so many of us feel that way. So I'm just kind of tired of seeing moms feel so alone um, and feeling like they're stuck in that. And there's just no way out um, because I, I think there is a way out and that is, has just been immensely helpful to me before becoming a mom. I learned about the power of that friendship circle. But now that I am a mom, it's like, oh my gosh, I need friendship more than, more than ever. Yeah. What, what are some of those stories? I know exactly what you're talking about. I've told myself those stories. So I know, but just so so we can have this conversation and kind of get it out in the open, because I think when we talk about things, they lose their shame, you know? And so what are some of those stories that we tell ourselves that kind of prevent us or hinder us from going forward and making friends? 
Yeah. So the, the main story I will share that I told myself, um, Mm -hmm. the one that I was like most likely to kind of fall prey to was that everybody else was set on friends, Mm -hmm. particularly moving to a city where people did have, you know, established friendships and, and family in the area. You know, I had just come from a place like that. I knew that, you know, there were times where I wasn't as available to be a friend um, because I had some had such a big network back home. And so I just assumed everybody else felt that way um, yeah. that I was meeting. And I I came to figure out that that was very much not true. I mentioned that memoir. The, the whole reason I read it was because we had moved to this condo building in an effort to like put ourselves in a space where we were more likely to meet people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like a very large condo kind of complex. And a girl there had reached out to the Facebook group asking about book clubs and, um, you know, just wondering if there was one in the condo that she could join. And like 25 of us said, no, but we'll join, like, let's make one. Yeah. And so we like all piled into the, you know, two bedroom condo. And she told us about how she had read this book. So this was her way of like putting herself out there. Mm-hmm. And so we all decided to read that book. And what I learned sitting in that room, you know, the next month was I was sitting amongst like 25 other women from my condo who most of them, you know, had grown up in Philadelphia and were saying that they still had space for me. You know, they still wanted to know their neighbors. And so that was really eye opening for me. And it helped me to realize I had been kind of carrying with me this story that everybody else was set in all of my interactions. And so I didn't really push hard. I didn't follow up. Um, and I also just probably gave off like this aura of like, you, you don't want to be my friend or, or need to be my friend. Mm-hmm. And so this, the flip, the switch really flipped for me after kind of that aha moment, because I started going into every interaction after that, assuming that everybody wanted to be my best friend, mm-hmm. which probably wasn't the case, but you know, as well. But the reality is that that energy very much impacted how I showed up in those conversations and in those connections. And that really is when my network exploded was when I assumed that like, you know, people wanted to be friends with me. It was an energy that attracted people as well. Yeah. So So instead of kind of saying nobody would want to be friends with me thinking, well, of course, people would want to be friends with me, I'd be Mm -hmm. a great friend. And then yeah, people do want to. I do think that the way we think about a situation really impacts the way we behave in it. And then that's a whole ripple effect, a whole dynamic. But I think we tell ourselves as women so many stories like, you know, what if they don't like me? I'm not very fun, or maybe I don't have as much to offer, or I'm not that interesting, or, um, and we play these stories in our head. And then, of course, it doesn't look like we're showing up or available for friendship. Yeah, absolutely. Those um, stories are super prevalent. You know, we worry like everybody else is too cool for us. My DMs right now are actually really full of people telling me that they're the awkward one. Um, (laughs) I'm really like, you know, thinking about that right now, because there's so many people that feel like they're the awkward one to which I'm like, well, you know, it's starting to feel like we all feel this way. And, you know, that doesn't mean that there aren't connections out there for you. If you find, you know, if you find it awkward to navigate friendship, that's actually a really normal feeling. Um, I don't know that, I don't know that you are the awkward one. It's, it's often, this is just awkward and navigating this as awkward. And, you know, it's, it is worth fumbling through um, because our people are out there. It's just, it it can be sometimes a matter of putting ourselves through some awkward situations and that's never fun. Like I get it. Well, no, because you, you have to be vulnerable and Mm -hmm. anytime you start a new relationship, you have to be vulnerable and vulnerable for everybody feels uncomfortable. I mean, I've been, doing this for 30 years. And I've never heard somebody in my practice say, Oh, I love being vulnerable. Vulnerable is easy. It's it's hard. But that's really the foundation of connection. And I love your story about the book club, because I, I, I don't know, I, I, I definitely am kind of a nerd. I love books. I'm not like the I'm not the girls trip, like happy hour mom. I'm just, I'm not really a drinker. I'm not super social. Like I'm, I'm more like pajamas and book and watch my shows. And I love to go to lunch with friends. So I've over the years, I think, well, I wouldn't be the like 
fun, let's go have a drink, mom. So they might not want to be my friend, you know? And so we do kind of tell ourselves, but I love your story about the book club because that's exactly how I've made friends. I've, I've started book clubs. I've been in three or four. I've been in two book clubs, one for 20 years and the other one for about 12. Yeah. And when you're in a book club that long, um, once through my church and through a mom's group that I started at my church. And then one's kind of like a neighborhood one, but most of the women are about 10 years older than me, but it's so nice because they're walking down the path of life just ahead of me. So I get a glimpse of what's to come. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, there's so much wisdom. And I think book clubs are just one of the best ways to get to know people well because early, you know, without it being forced or artificially accelerated, because when you talk about books, you're talking about topics and values and characters and things that really show you who people are. So I think that's a great way to meet people. Yeah, I agree. I think the other valuable piece that book clubs can bring to is it feels like almost like a safe environment for newer connections because it has a clear purpose. Yeah. And one of the other things that is hard about making new connections is you're like, okay, well, what am I going to say next? Or what are we going to talk about? And like the more there's actually a purpose for some of those early gatherings that can also help kind of bring guards down too. And I love your point about, and then in the end, it's just set up for taking you deeper because you're going to get into those things around values and around, um, around those topics. So it's, Mm -hmm. it really is such a, um, a great method, I think, for yeah. creating connections and 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 making them go deeper. Um, I do think people are especially lonely right now. Um, in fact, uh, a, a previous guest of mine and an upcoming guest of mine, who are both psychologists in California, did an Instagram live yesterday, and their topic was this: was friendship. And I peeked mm-hmm. in for a few minutes, knowing that we were going to talk about this today. Yeah. And um, I think they're a little bit younger than us. One has a brand new baby, and I don't think the other one has kids yet. But but they were talking about how lonely people are right now. And of course, some of that's because we've been home for a year. Um, a lot of us in, in most parts of the country, but what are you seeing and what are your tips now that people are getting vaccinated and people are coming back out of their houses? What are your tips for people for making new friends if they're feeling lonely? Yeah. You know, I, it, it you know, I, I tend to not just say, oh, go show up, put yourself out there. You know, there, there is a time and a place for that. But one of the things I always really recommend is even just taking a step back and thinking about like, you know, what is it that you're craving? Um, you know, is it that you're craving depth in friendship? Is it that you're craving, you know, just you want some more friends? Mm-hmm. Is it that you're craving like certain types of friends? You know, we both podcast. So mm-hmm. like, podcast friends or, you know, work friends, mom friends, and really just thinking about what it is that you're desiring because, you know, like we just talked about, it can be hard to put yourself out there and to make new friends. It can be exhausting, honestly. And so I really encourage women to think about what it is they want most and then focus on opportunities that will help bring them closer to that because when we go out there and just start assuming everything is an opportunity, we get really overwhelmed right away and we start to feel really guilty about like wasting opportunities, like if Mm -hmm. we're feeling tired and just not feeling it. And so I really recommend like figure out, you know, where is it going to make the most impact for you? If you want mom friends, go to those places where you're going to find those. You know, if you want podcast friends, you know, go to some podcast groups, start, you know, working on transitioning some of those online friends to in real life friends. And once you do that, you can also look at your calendar and figure out, you know, where do I have space in my life to show up well when I do? Yeah. And kind of like combining those two pieces, like what do I need plus what do I have capacity for is huge because then it allows you to actually show up well when you do. You don't have any guilt over the times that you just like, you know, didn't take an opportunity. I think a lot about how I used used to go to the gym a lot. I go to an outdoor workout right now 
And like, that is not my time to create connections. And so I have no guilt about that, but Mm -hmm. technically it is an opportunity that I'm letting go by. Um, And so I want to be really cognizant of that um, so that I'm not feeling guilty about it. And also just, you know, right now I know that I'm prioritizing something else in, in my connections. And there might be a time and place where I show up differently at my workout group to, you know, try to engage a little bit more, but it's, it's figuring that piece out, I think is really helpful because if you don't, you get unmotivated real quick and you get overwhelmed real quick. That's true. I hadn't really ever thought about that, but that's true is to kind of look at what your friendship goals are. I know when I first had my son, I had been a professor at the University of Houston and um, I, I didn't have any mom friends, not one friend that had children, I don't think, because I wasn't from Houston. So I didn't have that network of college mm-hmm. friends or grad school mm-hmm. friends or friends from high school. And um, I, I was so lonely, Emily, so lonely. And it's the first time in my life, probably. Well, no, that's not true. I mean, I'm sure there were times where I felt lonely, like for a night or a weekend or something, but like, I just felt very alone as a mom. And I started signing up for, you know, Jimbery and music babies. And I didn't always connect with people there, but I did finally connect with one woman at a Jimbery class And we were both kind of saying the same thing. We both had little boys the same age and we exchanged numbers and we ended up to make a very long story short, we ended up starting a mom's group at our church um, because there had not been one, you know, a lot of the Baptist church have mops. Yes. So we didn't have that because we're at a Catholic church and we had both known other churches that had mops and we thought about joining those, but we, we kind of joined, it was called the St. Anne Society, but we joined, we, we created it. We created a board. We found other moms and those women became my friends. It's now 23 years old at mom's group and still going strong. Um, and she became the God da- a godmother to my daughter, but it was like stepping out of that box of what kind of mom friends we wanted at that time. And then I think about when you're talking about exercise class, just more recently as my kids are older, you know, and I don't need those play date moms and those, you know, mom's night outs that I needed when my kids were little. I joined bar, the bar method. And I met all these women who were in the same stage of life as me. Their, their kids were not totally grown. And I didn't plan on making friends there. Like you, I was like, just go on to do my, but I did, I made the most amazing friends. And so I think at different seasons of your life, there are different places that maybe you would connect with people more, but I hadn't thought it through. Like you're saying, like it was a happy accident. I guess it was intentional for sure about the mom's group. But um, so I love that to step back and think about like what kinds of friends at that stage and place in your life do you need? And then seek those opportunities specifically. And then you're there. Okay, Emily, this is the part that's hard for me. And I think most people you're there, you're at the book club, you go to the prayer group, you go to the neighborhood mom's meeting, whatever it is. How do you start that first conversation? How do you how do you reach it, you see someone and you're like, oh, I could be friends with her. You know, you know, that we've all had that feeling, but then mm-hmm. what do you do with that? Yeah. Well, you know, like you said, you're, you're showing up. So that's the good thing. And the key I think that you've done too, is you showed up consistently that that's huge. Mm-hmm. And so now that you're there consistently, like you've got to, you've got to make it matter. You know, you, you've got to take it from, oh, we just go to this one thing together. And, um, you know, how do you kind of move it outside of that space? Yeah, um, that's hard. That's so mm-hmm. hard for me. That's really hard to do is it yeah. sounds like dating. Take it to the next level. Yeah. But really, how yeah. do you make it more of a friendship versus just seeing the person at these meetings? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So in general, like I, I'm pretty pretty bold, which has started to stem from that confidence of, well, everyone wants to be my friend. And I, mm-hmm. and I know that most people assume that everyone is set, but we, I know that's not true, but they don't know that, you know, <laughs> as I get older, I think nobody's really set. Everybody has room for some sort of new friendship. Don't you think? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And I mean, the statistics support that too. It's yeah. something like 75% of women are, you know, um, unsatisfied with their friendships or want more. Yeah. So I kind of take that statistic with me 
because I know it. And so when I meet someone that, you know, seems like something could be there, I go ahead and initiate because I feel like I've got statistics on my side that she's Mm -hmm. more open to connection than not. And I also assume she doesn't know that. Um, And so I've got to be the one. Uh, And so the part of my soapbox for moms, for women is helping them know, no, everybody wants connection. Like it's really safer out there than we think to go ahead and, and, and suggest that maybe there could be something here. Mm-hmm. And um, so, you know, for, for me, what I like to do, if um, I'm just wanting to even start a conversation with someone, I just, I make myself look open to it. I don't look mm-hmm. at my phone. I make eye contact. I smile. And then I will usually make some sort of statement about kind of our environment that might make sense. Like if I'm at a park, I'll say, oh, these kids are crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, or, you know, just kind of like letting that person know I'm open to a conversation because I know some moms, you know, might go to a park with her kids and are, you know, she's only there to like pour into her kids and, you know, it's kind of like shutting the rest of the world out. I will say I don't find that a lot, um, <laughs> but occasionally. And so I just let her know I'm available. And then I usually will, you know, ask some sort of follow-up question like, oh, you know, how old is your kid mm-hmm. that I'm seeing right there? And then we'll, you know, share my kid's age and, you know, kind of go from there. And then even after just one connection, I highly recommend getting contact information, um, particularly if you're in a space that isn't meeting consistently. So like, a yeah. park. and I know that can feel really like, whoa, that feels aggressive to ask after one meeting. But I I have this kind of formula that makes it really low pressure. And it's just kind of saying, hey, you know, it was fun chatting with you. Um, I think parks are always more fun when there's other kids here. Do you want to exchange numbers? And I can let you know the next time we come to this park. Mm -hmm. So it's super low pressure for her. Like I'm not signing her up to be my best friend quite Mm -hmm. yet. Um, But I am saying like, hey, like we chatted, we had fun we're never going to see each other again. Yeah. We don't, you know, exchange numbers here. And so that's usually what I do after our first meeting. If I know like I'm in your shoes where I'm going to this exercise group and Mm -hmm. I'm starting to see everyone consistently. Yeah. I'm not going to ask for contact information on the first meeting per se, but you know, I will start to think about, okay, so I would like to hang out with this person maybe outside of exercise class. And you know, what I have found really helpful, particularly for exercise classes, is suggesting grabbing coffee after mm-hmm. or um, breakfast after, depending upon kind of what time of day um, you're doing things. And the more you can get like more than just one person to go, like sometimes then it's like, oh, well, the group is going here. Yeah. Or like anybody who wants to, we're going to go grab coffee. Yeah. Um, is is usually like a great way to get some of that going. Because once you can transition a friendship out of its like, initial environment, you know, Um, that's really when people start feeling more like, oh, okay, maybe there's something here. It would be safe for me now to invite you over or to invite you out to dinner. Um, we've already done that first transition out of how we initially knew each other. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's true. And I think that's the hardest part. I, I had shared with you once before about that woman I did meet at Gymboree. Like when I first called her, I don't know. I, I mean, this, look, our kids are 23. So this was a long time ago. I mean, I'm guessing we had cell phones then, but I don't think we had texting and stuff. I don't think there were smartphones, but I remember the first time calling her. I will never forget for as long as I live. I told my husband, I feel like I'm asking you out on a date. Like what if she says no? And she did say no, she was busy. We were going to meet at the park and she was busy. And I, but she immediately said, but I can do it tomorrow or I can do it you know, in a week. But, um, but yeah, I think that's that hardest part because there's that fear of rejection. Mm-hmm. Don't you think that's why oh, it's for, sure. for us? Yeah. 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 I, you know, I, uh, I have a group program where I work with women on friendship and kind of navigating the hurdles everyone feels like they face and fear of rejection is the number one, you know, kind yeah. of once you get past um, kind of some of those other stories that we just have in the back of our mind, but they ultimately, a lot of those stories just stem from the fear of rejection. When we think, oh, she's too cool for me, or she's set on friends. I used to say all the time, I was pre-rejecting. Yes. Um, like I was afraid to be rejected. So I went ahead and assumed that they were good. So it wasn't necessarily me. 
It was the circumstances. And so I didn't have to ever put myself in a place of being rejected. But unfortunately, then I also was very lonely for two years Mm -hmm. because I wasn't willing to risk that rejection when ultimately what I discovered was, um, you know, I, I tell this story all the time. I've collected hundreds of numbers um, mm-hmm. since moving. And I often follow up and make some sort of invitation to connect again. And I've only once never heard back from someone. Really? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And so I technically call that the time I was rejected. But I also didn't end up, I, I, I personally you could have got the wrong number. <laughs> there's so many what I, you know what I tell myself which may or may not be true is that well gosh you know I think about all the times I get texts and I look at my phone when I shouldn't be looking at my phone because I don't really have time to respond or to process you know what it is. Um I'm really guilty of thinking about things for too long and then I feel guilty like well now it's been too long. Like yeah. it's even more awkward if I respond. And so that is what I told myself was the case. Maybe she really didn't like me, but if I would have believed that story, I would not have the friends I have today. Yeah. Or she was pre-rejecting. She was thinking, oh, you know, yeah. Yeah, yeah, she went out like me. I mm-hmm. love what you said that though. Let let's dig into that that pre-rejection because I do think that's what we're doing. And it, whether it's conscious or or subconscious, but I do think that we're thinking already we're trying to protect ourselves from rejection and probably because we have been rejected in the past. I mean, who hasn't had a friend group in middle school or high school, not include them. I mean, I remember when my son was little and I did sign up for that music babies class and it was a small class and everyone in there seemed to know each other, but me, the other moms, I was a brand new mom. I was, I think 29 and, um, they all did go get coffee afterwards. It was, Mm -hmm. it was an afternoon class, like maybe three to four or something. And at four, they would all go get coffee and I would see them. I, they was a coffee shop across the street and I would see them like go with, and they never invited me. And I would go home feeling so rejected, Emily. And like, how am I here? I'm doing what you said, right? I'm showing up and I would talk to them during class and Mm -hmm. ask them about their babies and and then finally, one time they did invite me um, and I did I did go. I never really became good friends with that particular group, but that was mm-hmm. 23 years ago. And that still sits with me that yeah. it took them a really long time. And then I never really did get integrated into the group. Right. Yeah. For what maybe my reason, maybe their reason, who knows. But um, so you have those scripts in your head. You have those Mm -hmm. times where you were rejected before and you remember how much that hurt Mm -hmm. that I think you get afraid to put yourself out there again. Oh yeah, for sure. You know, that's, that's real. We all have those stories. Um, And that is part of what I do work with moms on is thinking about those because, you know, for the most part, many women will have stories that stem from growing up. Yeah, I think probably less, high school and childhood mostly. Yeah. Yeah. There's less in adulthood, but the ones that are in adulthood, I would argue typically there might be more going on too. Um yeah. you know, than the like what exactly was happening in middle school. But it's so interesting you bring up that circle of moms because one of the big things I've started embracing because you know it it's you're right, there are times where you do walk in and there is a truly established group or a truly mm-hmm. established circle. And I do think it is possible to get in those circles. I do think it's possible to get in those groups. I really caution people, though, to make sure that they even want to be in them in the first place. Because yeah. sometimes it's like, oh, I, you know, that's a group and it would just be easy to join in. Um, so there's a lot of appeal to, to pre-established groups in that way. Um, I had to catch myself recently with in our neighborhood, there's kind of a, there's a set group. There's a set crew that hangs out a lot. And um, I, I was like, oh, okay, like this is the group. Like when we first moved, I'm like, okay, I've got to figure out like who to cozy up to in the group that will yeah. then, there's a whole strategy behind like how you can sneak into a group. And it dawned on me that like, oh, I don't even know that I care about this group of people anyway. Yeah. And my neighborhood is full of, I mean, hundreds of people. And this small group 
you know, is, is maybe eight houses out of 300 houses. And when I looked around, I started seeing all of these other people looking at this group, mm-hmm. wanting, like wanting it as well. And what we really want, it's not that we necessarily want to be friends with those people all the mm-hmm. time. It is. What we want is a group. Right, right. So, like we want or a even a person. <laughs> or a person, yeah. And so what I do all the time now is I'm like, uh, like it's too much work to get into a group. I mean, yeah. it's not impossible, but it can take work and it takes time and it feels I think particularly awkward. When I noticed, I'm like, "Oh my gosh, look at her over there." And her over there, she's looking at this group. What if I just scoop them up? Yeah. And and we do our own thing. And that's really kind of what I've started embracing is, oh, it's just easier to give people groups to join than it is to try to break into pre-existing groups. And so that's kind of the mantra I have taken on. And and I encourage moms to at least think about um, because- 100%. I I agree. Yeah. Yeah. I agree 100% that, um, yeah. And and honestly, when I think about my life and it wasn't really, I mean, maybe it was intentional, but- I didn't think about it as deeply as we're talking about it today, but yeah, that's where my friends, my closest friends really came from kind of either a new group or starting a group or, um, you know, rather than joining an existing group, because there's lots of history there. Right. And you might always feel left out or when you start a group or you like that group that emerged from my bar exercise class, you're much more likely to have similar values when you're kind of getting in on the ground versus joining a group that's already established um, because you there's, you already have some commonality, you know? Um, So I really like that. I'm glad you brought that up. I think that's great advice. Um, So, you know, I think in this last year, at least I felt this way that, I was simply keeping my head above water. My business exploded because everybody needed mental health support during COVID. And so I was just, all I was doing was working um, and barely, I I wasn't pouring pouring into my friendships. I know that my friendships suffered. I'm in these book clubs, but we weren't meeting. We were on Zoom. And honestly, if I'm talking to therapy clients all day on Zoom, the last thing I wanted to do at night was get on Zoom and talk. Yeah. <laughs> out of book. I'm um, in a prayer group. We started meeting by Zooms kind of it, when it was during my session. So I couldn't go to that. And then it just, how, how do, I think a lot of people, their friendships have suffered because they were homeschooling their kids and working from home and just trying to survive. So how do you suggest we get back on track after kind of neglecting a friendship for a while? Yeah. Well, you know, I think honesty is always a good place to start and just kind of like calling it what it is. I think we all know this has been an unusual experience that we've all walked through and we've all done our best to survive. We've all done our best to thrive during it. And I think you're right. You know, if we are on Zoom for work all day or for school all day, people know that you not showing up for a, a Zoom happy hour of friends or a Zoom book club is less about them and and just more about like I just need to not be on Zoom, yeah. You know? Um, and so f- for me, what what I've kind of been doing with friends is just saying like, oh man, like, uh, I can't believe it's been months now. I'm just realizing I'm coming up out of the COVID fog, and I've missed you. How are you? Um, like, I'd love to get together and just kind of naming like this has been weird. I think most of us have a lot of grace for others. And so the reality is that like our friends are going to have grace Mm -hmm. for that. Um, And the ones that don't, you know, I, I would be interested in just unpacking that a little bit more and, you know, maybe there's something else going on there, but I think we're all pretty understanding of what this year has been and are looking forward to resetting. Um, It'll be interesting. I'm, I'm thinking about, you know, I wonder if, I I imagine for COVID, it's been helpful for some people to realize maybe there were some friendships that weren't serving them either, or probably like the break was good. Yeah. Um, But for the most part, like I would say, there's one friend in particular that I have definitely lost connection with. We were doing Zooms initially, but just couldn't sustain it. Um, And we're all 
we are all currently getting vaccines and I knew that yeah. she would be comfortable hanging out again um, once everyone was fully vaccinated. So it was fun to like send her a text and be like, okay, this is the date for me. Where's everybody else at? Like yeah. can we put something on the calendar and like, she's totally pumped to jump back in and I am too. And literally a year has gone by um, and yeah. we're both yeah. willing to re-show up. So I think you'll, yeah. you'll be surprised what your friends are willing you know, to do. Well, I had lunch with a friend last week outside. We're both vaccinated. Um, and it was the first time in, in a year that I had lunch with her or really any friend outside. It felt so weird for me because I've been extremely yeah. cautious. And she said exactly that. She said, um, you know, and she listens to the podcast. So I wonder if she'll listen to this. But she said, you know, there are some friendships that, I'm not going to reconnect with it. And I have to tell you, Emily, I felt so honored. I'm like, yes, well, thank well, you. That, yes, I made the cut. Thank you for mm-hmm. <laughs> that to me. But again, I hadn't really thought about that. I think I've been so busy just working and, and podcasting that I hadn't really taken the time, just like you said a few minutes ago, to step back and think, what do I want going forward in my friendships? And I'm really going to do that. I'm going to do what she said too, because, you know, there are relationships that, we've outgrown or that pull us down or, you know, a couple questions. I really hadn't planned on this and I hope you're okay with it. But I, as we were talking, there are two questions I've gotten repeatedly from readers and listeners and followers. And and, I'm not expecting you to know the answers necessarily, but maybe between your experience and my professional experience, we can just kind of talk them out. But one is that I do have clients and readers and followers who ask me all the time, how do I end a friendship? You know, I'm in a friendship where, and I've had these, I think because I'm a therapist, I get these where I'm always the listener. I'm always the helper. I'm always the giver. And there's no reciprocity, right? Um, or we're in a friendship that just for whatever reason isn't working for us. The person constantly doesn't show up when we need them to show up. And people ask me all the time, what's the best way to end a friendship? And I have some ideas, but I want to hear your ideas. Yeah. So I, I do think for the most part, friendships can like naturally drift away without yeah. like an official, you know, <laughs> I used to call them growing up DTRs, defining the relationship, um, yeah. which is what I used to do with like, you know, people I was dating. Like, I don't know that we need to have official DTRs with our friends. I think a lot of times it will naturally drift away and that will be because of both people. But to your point, you know, a key ingredient in friendship is positivity and mutuality. And if you start to realize that you are not feeling positive, you know, when you're interacting with someone, that is definitely something to pay attention to. Um, I... I learn a lot from Shasta Nelson. Um, she's a, I call her a friendship expert. Mm-hmm. And I, I was reading in one of her books, she was talking about like, you know, sometimes with friends that particularly you've had for a long time, if you start to realize they're not feeling good, you know, that there's yeah. you know, not necessarily a healthy relationship there anymore, but you don't feel like you can completely walk away or from that relationship. She's like, that's fine, but like, call it what it is. Like at that point, it's charity, it's therapy. It's mm-hmm. not necessarily a friendship. Um, And so I think even just you yourself getting clear on, on what it is can help with those next steps, but I'm curious. Rename it or redefine it in your head and then you, your expectations will shift Mm -hmm. and that alone. Okay. That's a great idea. That's really good advice. What else? Well, I was going to ask you, cause I do feel like there probably is a time where, you know, a formal conversation needs to happen. I think about that particularly with like those lifelong friends or those longer term relationships where it's like, okay, clearly this is not trending well for me. And I do think like for a while you can try the like, let me just see what naturally happens if I myself have different expectations for this relationship and just see kind of what that brings. I do think there's probably some time to sit with that and, and give that space to work out. Um, But you know, if that person just, continues to either like need too much from you than you think is healthy for you to give. I imagine at that point, it is probably important to set some boundaries. And I would love to lean on you here of like, what do you think that would look like as a therapist? Like, how do you tell people, how do you recommend people go about that? 
Yeah, so um, I'll talk prefer- personally and professionally because I've, I've had it. I've had friendships shift and I've had friendships where I feel like, gosh, I'm always giving, I'm always doing, I'm always listening. And and when I really needed a friend and I would go to that person, I'm thinking of a couple people in particular, they weren't there for me. They made it all about them or they just didn't have the space. And it was so hurtful because I'm the type of person, Emily, that I have a million acquaintances. And I'm sure it looks like I have a million friends to people. I think people think I have, I know people because they tell me all the time, oh, you have tons of friendships. And I really don't. I have like this very small network of people that I really, really confide in and let in. And when one of those people just continually doesn't show up, and I mean show up, not just physically, but emotionally, just whatever, it, it, I've had that happen over the years or their life circumstance changes or whatever. And here's what I've found in my clients and professionally and personally that sometimes the conversation works. I have a really good friend who I can think of. I didn't even realize I I was hurting her, but I guess I'm not a good caller and I wasn't calling and checking in with her as much. And she told me and I humbled myself and I knew what she was saying was right. My feelings hadn't changed about her or the friendship, but I wasn't showing up. And she called me out on it. It was a really difficult conversation, but we were both humble, open and vulnerable and we owned our mistakes and we forgave and we worked forward. And we've been friends for 12 years. She's my neighbor. We're very good friends. And what I love about that time is we were just honest. She sh- she told me the ways that I had let her down. And I told her my perspective. We really listened. It was painful. We cried. Um, but what I love now is we're stronger. I have another friend who that did not work with at all. Mm-hmm. I remember the conversations. We're still acquaintances She reaches out, I reach out, but it didn't work. And so I think ideally you have an open, honest conversation, but you kind of have to know who you're dealing with. And there are some people that will get extremely defensive and it will not improve the relationship. So I, I have this little formula I use, not specifically for friendship, but for everything. When you're gonna talk to someone about something, I say you ask yourself three questions. Will this help me? Will this help the other person and will this help the relationship? And if you can answer yes to all three of those things, then it's a good conversation to have. Mm -hmm. If the answer is no, it's probably best to not have the conversation. And the tricky thing is, is knowing the answer to will this help the other person or will this help the relationship? But I think after a while, you kind of know, and those are the friendships that I tell people, you just, people can't see me. You can see me slowly backing up, right? Mm -hmm. I'm just kind of like a cat sneaking out backwards Mm -hmm. out of the room. And that's what you have to do. You have to slowly back up. Sometimes they get the message and sometimes they don't. But Mm -hmm. I, I think really those are kind of the only two ways to go. And sometimes when you're slowly backing up, the other person will say, did I do something wrong? Is something, what, what did I do? Why don't we talk anymore? And sometimes answering that question is going to do more harm than good, you know, because it will just hurt the other person. It will just hurt you. It'll just hurt the relationship. So I don't think there's a uniform answer. I think it depends on the other person, your humility, your, your vulnerability, your willingness to accept what you did wrong in the friendship. Yeah. You know, because that's the other thing is most of the time, this is true in romantic relationships or friendships, you're part of the problem too. A lot of mm-hmm. times we think it's just the other person, but there's mm-hmm. always a part that we have too. Yeah. As you were talking, I'm in the middle of reading Codependent No More. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, thinking about those three questions because, you know, you might feel hurt by a friendship or just, you know, be realizing that this can't continue the way it's, it's happening today. So either we have to have a conversation about that shifting. Yeah. Um, and so like, let's say you're at that point where you want to have that conversation, but then you ask yourself that question of like, am I working with a person where this will actually be helpful? Will this, will anything change? Yeah. yeah. And if not, I, I like your idea of potentially not having it, but then that does mean that something has to change with you. 
Yep. You know, and, and how you, you either are approaching this relationship or engaging with it. Um, and I, what I really appreciate about the codependent no more book is it does call out your responsibility in, in your relationships. You know, if you aren't feeling positively about them, yes, it, that person may be leading to that, you know, those feelings of negativity a lot, but you're also allowing those to continue to impact you. And so you have to decide, am I going to keep feeling negativity from this person? Are we going to have this conversation? Or if I can't have this conversation, how can I start to better manage myself in this relationship so that it isn't such a negative experience? Yeah. And some of that I think is just having, just, you brought it up a few minutes ago is having good boundaries. Like when I see that I, I don't reach out to that person. I don't initiate communication. I'll, um, I always tell people, wait a few days when, if they do text you or do call you, don't respond immediately. Just, it's like you put the brakes on a relationship and, and that's not mean it's okay. And that's the thing I was talking to a client yesterday about boundaries and she said, Oh, but Kim, I feel like I'm being such a, B word. I don't want to curse on my podcast, <laughs> but she said, I feel like I'm seeing, being such a witch. If I, um, if I set boundaries in my relationships and I'm like, no, that is self-compassion. That is self-love. Like it is good to set boundaries in your relationships. Mm-hmm. It's, it might, it might hurt the other person, but you're not trying to hurt the other person. You're trying to protect yourself. And it's okay to protect yourself in a relationship. But I think as women, we're so conditioned to be nice all the time Mm -hmm. and to be relational and to be nurturing that sometimes we're afraid to do that. Yeah. And we're conditioned to put others' needs above ourselves. So when we feel like, oh, well, that will hurt that person. So then I have to be hurt instead Mm -hmm. because I can't hurt that person. Yeah. When in reality, does none of us good. (laughs) No, no, no. Um, No, and I'm glad we talked about that because I don't think a lot of people are talking about that. And sometimes friendships have to end or drift apart for our own mental well-being. So um, the other one I get a lot from moms is um, kind of the opposite of that. We were talking about a few minutes, so we're just kind of sort of circling back. But I've had several questions recently from moms who say, we're in this private school or we're in this small school and um, all the moms seem to know each other. Or the moms in my kids' kindergarten class have older kids, so they all know each other. And and so as a result, the kids' friendships, right, develop because of whose parents are friends. If the parents mm-hmm. are friends, the kids get invited to things, right? And so just kind of people I, – I, I've had – probably a dozen in the last couple of months of moms reach out to me and say, how do I, and we talked about this a little bit, but how do I break into that group? And I hear what you were saying before, like in the neighborhood, do you really want to break into that group? And that's kind of different than the school your kid's going to be at for eight years or six years or whatever it is, where your child's friendships are impacted by your friendships with the parents. Mm -hmm. Can you talk about that for a minute or how do we navigate that? I'm going to have to think about that one because I haven't, to me, I I've been in a lot of experiences where the kids friendships have created the adult friendship. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. Created the parent friendships. And so that's usually what I have experienced. And so um, to me, like the kids are still going to school every day. And if they are connecting, like they're still seeing each other a lot there. Like I don't, I don't know that that would automatically mean the fr- the kids wouldn't be friends with each other because they're not also having the after school um, piece, you know, with parents. But yeah. I'm wondering now, like that, I think is giving me good food for thought as a parent in general because yeah. I am so hypersensitive to exclusivity, inclusivity, and when that's happening. And like the reality is that we all want to belong. We've talked about that. And when we do, we want to hold on to that, you know? And um, so I could see how our kids could then go to school and be like, well, I know that like I belong with him because we hang out after school. And so therefore I'm not going to be open to friendship with this kid over here because I want to hold on to my belongingness, you know? And I really work with my kids and helping them understand, you know, why, like there's room for everyone, Yeah, you know, you can still belong um, and also include, 
But I'll tell you, I don't know what kind of a school, I know you're in Dallas, we're in Houston. Mm -hmm. I don't know what kind of school you're at, but I see it with my clients in um, the private schools more than the public schools. They're a little bit smaller, you know, or a lot, lot smaller, actually. Um, And so like I live two blocks from our parish Catholic school, and I hear it a lot there. Some mm-hmm. of the smaller schools are just very clicky. The parents know each other, they vacation together, they go out to dinner together. And so those kids play together. Mm-hmm. And if the kids, the new kids coming into the school aren't in that parent, ne- their parents aren't in that effort, they don't get invited to those things. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't even think it's like a conscious exclusivity. I think it's people just aren't thinking to expand their circle or, um, but I know it's hard. And what I tell those moms is just what you said, interestingly, is look around at the other mm-hmm. first kid families or the yeah. other kids that aren't in those groups and start connecting with them. Um, you know, and I think eventually you kind of do, especially in a small private school, you do break into those. But I know it feels very isolating. I think everybody, I just wish everybody, two things. I wish everybody would stop being so exclusive and just sort of say like, everybody's welcome. Everyone's invited. Um, And then the other thing I was talking to Sissy Goff about this, she was my guest last week on my podcast and just love her. She's so wise and so brilliant. We were talking about girls and anxiety and I feel like there's this image of a mom squad or a girl squad or a friend squad. And I know my boys, even when they start high school, they wanted a group. Everybody wants a group. And I think that's actually really unhealthy stereotyping and thinking that we're putting out there about friendships. And that's this actually leads to my last question that I have for you. But I really kind of want to um, smash that stereotype that we need a squad to be happy. I think we need a couple deep friendships to be happy. We don't need a squad. Yeah, I did a whole podcast episode on this concept of like, do I really need a mom squad anyway? <laughs> you know, and it's that idea of we're fed that we need this group of ride or die friends that does everything and anything together. And those are your people. And I do think like you are going to have ride or die friendships in your yeah. life. Um, and I think for some people that will look like a group and for others, it won't. I, 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 this is really, I get back again to that question of like, what do you need? What do you crave? Because I do think there are going to be some people that do crave the group setting and really get a lot of like life and energy out of that. But there's going to be a lot of people who really, um, you know, get life from just some really good one-on-one connections. Um, And some people are going to have a combo of that. Yeah. yeah, I don't think the ultimate grail is to have that that squad. Um, I, I expand that definition of squad and talk a lot about that of like, yeah, your squad includes maybe this great friend over here and yeah. that great friend over there. And yeah. these two that you do the, you know, th- you know, together, the three of you all do something. Um, but that's a squad. It's not just this like ride or die group. It's the, it's the people that give you life. Um, and are and in your there's village. a lot less drama. I will tell you because I, I see it, I hear it. I now have a 14 year old daughter and it's, and, and that's kind of the question I want to end with. Um, but I can tell you from my job and personally, there's, I, I don't have friend drama because I don't have a big squad that where everybody knows each other. I have my prayer group, I have my book club, I have friends that know each other, mm-hmm. but those big groups, those Groups are where the drama often, ha- not always, not always. I know they're supportive, but in my practice, when I hear about that, that is where it's typically happening. And mm-hmm. so um, kind of talking about kids and, and, and mom friends, I have a 14 year old daughter and friendship gets so tricky in middle school and high school. And I try really hard to model friendships for her in certain ways. Like I'm really careful to never gossip because it's wrong and it's mean, right. But I'm really, I really started thinking about that when I had kids, mm-hmm. you know, because who hasn't gossiped? Um, because it feels like a way of connecting, right? Yeah. But when I had kids, I was like, oh my gosh, I want her to know that it's not okay. So what are your suggestions for modeling friendships for our daughters and our sons? Yeah. So for me, <laughs> um, you know, I've got younger kids right now and I'm a working mom. And so 
one of the things I like to model in general is my kids seeing me prioritize friendships and like just being more than a parent in general. Um, and so that's something that's really important to me. Um, I also really recommend that we model um, diverse friendships. I talked yeah. about this on our podcast recently too, of the value of our kids seeing us be friends with people that don't always look like us. Um, yeah. Because the reality is that, you know, we, we tend to segregate ourselves in general into groups. Um, the statistics are like really staggering around like how many people don't have a, a good friend in their life that looks different than them. And um, I think we get to that place because our kids don't see it. Like they might be put in classes with kids that look different than them their entire life. Um, but you know, when, when they graduate college, when they go into the workforce, most of their good friends will look like them. And Mm -hmm. so I think we're getting to that place because we've, we've been in that place of parents having that, those same circles. So those are, I think it's important in general to just think about like, what do you value to show your kids about friendships? And then just being really clear that you're modeling that because I would agree, I think not gossiping and, and not showing them that is really important too. Um, but yeah, always aligning with back to your values, because again, like I say this all the time with energy, like you only have so much energy as well. Like I know that there's lots of really cool parenting things or, or cool things I could be instilling in my kids, but I don't have the energy to do it all. But I do right. have the energy for the, you know, the three to five things that I value most. Mm-hmm. And so in terms of helping your kids through friendship, what do you value? And then making yeah. sure that you're modeling that. I love that. That's really good advice. And I think you're right about the diversity. We, um, My daughter is adopted from China, and I noticed with her it was so different than with my boys who are biological. Um, when we started a new class or a new grade, immediately people invited them over for play dates. Um, with my daughter, my husband thought I was crazy when I told him, but I saw it as early as preschool. All the little girls in the room that looked like each other would gather. And at her preschool, she was the only Chinese person. So she she made friends with two boys, an Indian boy and another boy. Um, and then when she went to kindergarten, luckily we were at an extraordinarily diverse school. But the Chinese children in her class were all from China and spoke Chinese and she did not. And I saw very early on that she was kind of at this in-between place. And I, you know, Emily, I never thought that would be real. I knew like I had read the statistics and I knew that we pick people subconsciously, by the way, that look like us as friends. But when I saw it play out with my daughter, it was heartbreaking. She didn't see it by the way. And eventually she definitely made friends. Um, And it was interesting, like once the parents, she did get invited, but it was almost like once the parents saw me Mm -hmm. and our family, that was when she would get more invited. It's very sad. It's very sad that um, people don't reach outside of their ethnicity as easily to make friends. And I think you make an excellent point that we really need to model that for our kids and we need to be intentional about it because there's so much that having a diverse group of friends brings to us and it helps us to grow. And I think it's super important for us to model that for our kids. But I saw it happen as early as three and four years old. Yeah. And it, I mean, I believe it. It's, it comes to that, you know, when you're trying to make a connection, you look for something similar. Yeah. And I think, you know, we automatically see difference, you know, just um, with with age, with color mm-hmm. of skin. I think a lot actually about when we lived in Philly, for the longest time, I didn't realize I could be friends with people that weren't my exact same age. Yeah. Um, all of a sudden I had like friends of, of people that were in their 50s and yeah. I started seeing the value of having friends outside of just my current life season. And that really helped me in general, just be more open to connection with people that didn't look like me or didn't seem to have a similar life circumstance, because I was still able to find a lot of commonality and a lot of joy and positivity in those connections and those friendships. But like, we have to have those experiences to know that like, you know, it's okay to go beyond, you know, just kind of the initial look of someone or circumstance of someone to assume that, you know, there's some sort of commonality there. You just have to ask maybe two extra questions to get to it um, in some cases. 
And sometimes they really want to be friends with you. Like I know um, I have a friend uh, who she just loves babies and her kids are in their twenties, mid twenties. So they're, you know, she's not ready. She's not ready for grandkids yet, but she doesn't have babies. None of her friends are having babies. So she loves making friends with younger moms and offers to watch their babies or hold their babies in church or, you know, mm-hmm. because, and, and so there's, a lot to offer both ways, you know, yeah. the younger person that can learn from the older person and the older person that likes giving or um, just being around. I, I, most of my friends are, well, I don't know. I have about half my friends are a lot younger than me. And I love that. I love having younger mm-hmm. friends. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I think that that's really good. And I think I shared with you one other tip I want to put out there to moms about um, modeling friendship for your kids. When I was in that mom's group that um, I talked about, we used to bring dinners to people who just had a baby or who had surgery or you know, and I still do that with friends, but it was more of a sign up thing then. And so when my kids were little, I felt like, and everyone was having babies. I was always bringing somebody a meal and I would always have them come with me because like you, I wanted them to see that I prioritize friendship, but I also wanted them to see what that can look like. Like, of course, mm-hmm. they see us hanging out at the pool or having drinks or going on trips or, but I wanted them to see us serve one another and show up and bring food and babysit each other's kids when, when they needed that. And so I made sure they were involved. They would actually help me bring the food up to the door. And I would tell them like, we're bringing this to Miss Fitzgibbon because she just had a baby and it's really hard to cook for your family when you have a baby. And so, and when I had you, people did this for us. And so I think it's really important to show your kids and talk to them about how to be a good friend. Yeah. I love that. I love um, how you modeled that for them. I think that's really cool. Yeah. I, I don't model a lot of other parts of friendship. <laughs> I'm like the worst caller. I'm so bad. If any of my friends yeah. are listening, I know I owe every one of you a call because I'm just so bad at calling people. I have to like mm-hmm. make myself do it. I tell people, if you're going to be my friend, just know this about me. I'm not a good caller, but I will always answer your call and I will always be there for you. I just don't, I'm not good at initiating, but Anyway, I could talk to you for two more hours, but I know our listeners kind of like an hour long episode and we both have things to do. So um, tell people what you have going on. I saw you have a new a new thing coming out. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. So um, I'm currently kind of in the midst of releasing a few different mini courses uh, as well as uh, doing group coaching and one on one coaching with women who want to kind of find their people and, and walking them through and holding their hand alongside of that. Um, so yes, I recently released a new course squad from scratch and mm-hmm. we do talk about how, you know, that squad is not necessarily just, you know, those three group of ride or die friends, um, making sure that you're kind of fitting in all those friendship needs. Um, and then, uh, I have a group coaching program as well. So, um, but also just lots of like, you know, we talk about friendship over on Instagram pretty much daily. Got a Facebook group too, so lots of free resources too if you're if you're looking to expand your circle. And you can find all of that at theconnectedmomlife.com um, and on Instagram and Facebook at the Connected Mom Life as well. And we'll put all those in the show notes. And maybe you can send me. Um, the memoir about the 52 oh, yeah. friend dates, the mm-hmm. title and the author of that. And we'll put that in the show notes because as you were talking about, it, I'm like, I want to read that book. And I'm mm-hmm. sure our listeners probably will feel that too. And maybe um, the other book, The Codependency No More. I know that book, but if you could, um, we'll put oh, that yeah. in the show notes and anything like that, that we talked about. So thank you so much, Emily. I'm so grateful for your time. And I think, um, I think people will really enjoy this because I think a lot of people are struggling with friendship right now. Yeah. Well, thank you, Kim. It's been a joy to be here. Thanks. Thank you so much for joining me for this episode of Connecting with Dr. Kim Swales. Hopefully you've heard something that will help you as you continue to navigate the connections in your everyday relationships. If you'd like to connect with me on Instagram, you can follow me at Dr. Kim Swales or check out my website, www.kimswales.com. I'd also love if you would click subscribe 
and leave a positive review or a five-star rating for the podcast, as well as share it with your friends and family. The material in this podcast is for entertainment purposes only. If you are in need of medical or psychological counsel, please seek a licensed professional in your area. This episode was edited and produced by Sonia Kerrigan.